How's everyone doing? You good? Ready for Thanksgiving? Turkey Day is almost here. Our text of emphasis today is uh, found in the second letter to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. It says this, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we take a few moments to consider your word in the midst of our worship gathering here together, we pray for insight and understanding on who you are and who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the midst of a, a fall teaching series dealing with uh, essentials, uh, those ideas and those concepts that uh, make Christianity a Christian. And today our uh, subject is on the atonement or atonement. And atonement is an old uh, theological concept that can best be described as bringing uh, reconciliation uh, between two uh, parties or between uh, differing uh, parties. The idea of uh, atonement and reconciliation runs throughout the Bible, and it's based in the idea uh, that uh, God and humanity have a relationship that is broken, and that the brokenness of the relationship between humanity and, and God affects humanity's relationship with everyone else. And so because there's brokenness between us and God, there's brokenness between uh, uh, humans as individuals. And uh, again, we don't have to think very hard to uh, recognize or, or certainly search in uh, the contemporary news to recognize that this is indeed true. There's a great brokenness in the world. And so the idea that uh, God is bringing atonement, he's bringing reconciliation of relationships is an important theme that runs through the Bible and one of really the essential ideas of what Christianity is all about. And so our text of emphasis today says that uh, God uh, reconciled the world to himself. And so as we think about that, we think about our text of emphasis uh, today, um, let's also think about uh, what it is that our situation as human beings uh, really is. So how, how, in fact, are we broken? And, and is indeed this uh, true, that we are, we are broken as people and our relationships are broken? So in the Bible, there are a number of different uh, descriptions of the human predicament. Uh, these descriptions are uh, often use metaphors to illustrate how the brokenness uh, works and how, what, what state we really are. And so I want to share with you a couple of these uh, metaphor, metaphors that are describing the human uh, predicament. And so the first one is this. The Bible says that as humans, we are uh, prisoners. In fact, it, it, uh, it uses, the ter- uses specifically the term of slavery, that we are slaves. As humans, we are prisoners. We are slaves. We see this articulated in places like John chapter 8 and 
verse 32, which says, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the language of captivity. This is the language of, uh, of slavery. And um, this is Jesus speaking, and he was talking to uh, a, a group of uh, people from the Jewish faith. And verse 33 says that they answered him, hey, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so Jesus is very clear, and he uses very provocative language, especially to the group of people he's talk, talking to. So you can see that they got very defensive, and understandably, they uh, had a, a communal relationship with slavery. So even though they themselves had not, that, that the current generation had not uh, been slaves themselves, they were very familiar with the reality that their uh, forefathers and foremothers were slaves for uh, nearly 400 years in the land of uh, Egypt. And so this idea that Jesus would use this provocative term of slavery to talk about them saying, you, you are slaves, uh, is uh, Jesus trying to get across to them the state of humanity, that we as humans are like we are in captivity. We are in a slavery. We are prisoners and we are uh, slaves. And so uh, Jesus, again, trying to uh, portray in very vivid uh, and tangible uh, language what the state of humanity is, trying to describe the human uh, predicament. But uh, the, the prisoner idea, the captivity idea, is just one of the descriptions of the human condition. Uh, the second one is, is this, and we'll cover four here. There are many others, but there are, there are four we'll talk about today. The second uh, way that the Bible describes the human condition is as criminals, as criminals. We read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So this is language of criminality, of being a criminal. And so this is uh, saying, hey, as humans, we are, you are criminals. So you're, you're slaves, you're, you're in captivity, and you are uh, criminals. And uh, again, in this description, you and I are the ones who are at odds with the law. And then the Bible, of course, goes on and on to talk about the uh, judgment scene. And the judgment is, again, court of law, criminals. It's criminals who go before the judge. In Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 13, we re read, The Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. So this is, again, in the context of... Uh, criminality. So we have the human uh, condition being described as one of being slaves or being captives, being held against our will. We have this description now of the human condition being one as like uh, criminals. Another, another description or another metaphor we find in Matthew chapter uh, 18, and this is uh, Jesus. He says this, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant and he, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought in. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they uh, have be sold to repay the debt. So here the description, the human condition is described as being debtors. Debtors who have a great debt. Your credit card is maxed out. There's no, more, there's no more room for you to spend any money. In fact, not only can you not spend money, but you don't have enough money to pay back what you already owe. So this is Jesus' description of the human condition. 
slaves being held against our will, captives, criminals, now debtors. This is all bad news, right? Um, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, Jesus' most famous uh, prayer, his instruction on how to pray, he says, uh, forgive us our debts, and we also will uh, be forgiven from, from, our, uh, from our debtors. And the idea here, again, with forgiveness, the whole idea of forgiveness is rooted in debt. That forgiveness is rooted in uh, being forgiven of our debt or forgiving someone of a, a debt. And so uh, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That's Jesus' instruction in Matthew. So this is, again, the idea of uh, debt. So captives being held against our will, criminals now debtors. And then uh, finally, uh, that the human description is described as being lost, as being lost in Luke chapter 15. In fact, Luke chapter 15 has a number of parables, three in particular, one right after the other that describes the human condition as being lost. You're like lost sheep. You're like a lost coin. You're like the, 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 uh, uh, the lost uh, song that there's these series of lostness, lost uh, sheep, lost coin, and so on. And so the human condition as being one of being lost. So we have captivity, being held against our will in slavery. We have uh, criminality. We have uh, the human condition is like being in debt. And then finally, the human condition is like being lost, like a sheep that, uh, or an animal that has gone away from the, the farmer and does not know how to get back. All of these illustrations are trying to des- describe the uh, reality that we exist in. Now, I'm going to add another uh, metaphor. Uh, and, and by the way, there are a number of more in the Bible. And uh, I would actually suggest to you as we think and teach about this, that there is room for us to try to describe the situation in metaphors that are relative to us in our current context. And so I'm going to throw out one example of how we might do this. So and I was thinking of this yesterday. I was, I was hearing from a friend from Advent Hope who was telling me what happened to his building at 300 East 96th Street. So about eight days ago, uh, the fire department came into 308, uh, 300 East 96th Street because there was a giant crack in the building. Now, the crack had been there since January. And people had seen this giant crack in this building. You look at the building outside, it doesn't look any different than... Uh, any other building in New York, there's a 7-Eleven in the bottom, there's 25 apartments in the, in the building, but apparently this giant crack appeared in uh, January, that's quite some time ago, and uh, the people were like, oh, there's a giant crack in the building, and they called the, uh, the super, as you would do if there was a giant crack in your building, and do you know what the super said? What do you think the super said? Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's fine. No problem, no problem, no problem. Don't worry about it. Just you know, ignore it. So you know, the residents are like, okay. Well, the super said, don't worry about giant crack in the building. So finally, last week or eight days ago, somebody was like, uh, we need. I'm going to call the fire department. So the fire department came, and you know what they said? They were said, this building is dangerous. Everybody's got to get out N- immediately. So they went around knocking on doors, and they got everybody out. And now the building is abandoned. And so our our fellow Avon Hopers. Is, is had to temporarily find a home somewhere else. And uh, so as I was thinking about this and thinking about metaphors for the human condition, this is another one that fits 
uh, really perfectly. The idea that, uh, hey, we have this, this, this structure, this home, this existence that we, we live in that we feel safe in, and yet there are these giant uh, cracks at the foundation, these existential cracks at the, ex at the foundation of our own e existence. And so we, we may try to put that out of sight and out of mind, but it's, 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 it's there. We are a, a building. Our home is, is uh, broken. Our home is, is built oftentimes on, on sand and not on a sure and strong uh, foundation. And so with these metaphors in mind, you can think of others that are in the Bible or you can probably imagine some others on your own. Uh, with all of these descriptions that seemingly accurately describe the human experience in such a desperate way, um, how is it that so many of us are able to go through life without turning into a giant ball of anxiety? I mean, how are we not all like in the corner of, of our, our building, you know, in the fetal position? Uh, if indeed <laughs> this diagnosis is true that our condition is like, uh, is like that of a slave being held against our will, or our condition is like one who is a criminal, or our condition is like one who is in debt that we can't get out of, or our condition is like one who is lost and cannot find our way home, or that our condition is like um, having our safety and security uh, uh, checked by the fact that there's a giant uh, crack in that, sh that which we hold as, as home and safe. How are we all not uh, big bundles of anxiety, and we're not all in the fetal position. Now, I say that recognizing that some of you actually are in a giant ball of anxiety, that some of you may have come here today and you feel very, very anxious and, and understandably, and some of you may not be here today because you're very, very anxious about uh, some of these things and just your own existence in the world. So we keep that in mind, and yet uh, for many of us here and, uh, and for many certainly of no, no faith or of, of different faith, we figure out a way in which to exist in this world without being overwhelmed by the reality of our circumstance. And so how do we, how do we, uh, how do, we do that? Well, I want to share with you a, a couple ways in which we deal with the reality of our desperate situation. Uh, uh, one way, and again, it's not just the religious who recognize the desperate nature of humanity. Again, you do not have to open your New York Times and look very far before you recognize the desperate nature of the human condition. It may not be just your own human condition, but the desperate state that we are in as a world. We are broken. The world is broken. There's a lot of bad news out, out there. So how do we, how do we get by this, with this? Well, the first strategy we often use is to distract ourselves, right? So we don't want to sit around and be overwhelmed. We don't want to become a giant ball of anxiety. We don't want to go into the fetal position. So what do we do? We distract ourselves. We uh, invest our time and energy in our work. We invest our time and energy in uh, relationships with other people, thinking that that might solve the problem. We invest our time and energy in uh, entertainment. I mean, Netflix, love it. You know, sometimes when you need to distract yourself, right? I mean, we're in the age of the golden age of, uh, of, uh, of premier television series. What a better way to distract ourselves than to turn on, you know, two seasons of Stranger Things and, uh, and, and chill out in the corner, right? 
Only Kyle does that, apparently. <laughs> All right. You guys are binge-watching. Have you binge-watched before? Who has been watched? Binge-watched. All right. You, you, you confessed. That's good. Um, so we distract ourselves so that we don't just, we're not overcome with the reality of the state of this world and maybe even the state of our own lives. We distract ourselves. The second strategy that we use is uh, we minimize the problem. We minimize the problem. I would imagine that for people in that building to go from January to November with a giant crack in the wall, you'd have to do some minimization. You have to be like, it's not that bad, is it? Um, you know, I mean, somebody would take us out of this building if that crack was really that bad, surely, right? And so, um, but we, we also do that when it comes to existential things too. We minimize the problem. Now, I would suggest to you that there are two prominent ways that people do this, particularly religious people, but not just religious people, that we minimize the problem uh, through legalism and through license. These are two ways that we uh, minimize the problem, the, the state of, of where we are as humans. Through legalism, the minimization is this. Well, I can fix it. I can take care of the problem. I'm, I'm going to do it on my own. So we see the giant crack in the foundation of our, of our being, of our soul, of our existence, and we're like, you know what that needs? Some duct tape. That needs some duct tape. And so we go by the duct tape and we put it over the giant crack in our existence, um, the giant crack in our, in, our, in our safety, and we think, uh, okay, we've got the problem under control, we're going to take care of it, and that is what legalism is about. Legalism says you can take care of yourself. You can take care of the problem on your own. And you and I know that when we talk about legalism, that legalism is prominent in religious circles because sometimes in religious circles we minimize the problem too. We think, okay, well, if I'm just a better person, if I just get my act together, if I just do things a little bit better, if I just obey more, if I just get up early in the morning and pray more, if I just read my Bible more, if I'm just more regular at worship, if I just go to Sabbath school at 10 and 10.30. Um, that was a little sneaky advertisement. Did you see that? Yeah. Um, then, then, then everything's going to be okay. Then I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, be, be good. But that's minimizing the problem because that's assuming that the problem is just so little that you can just fix it by, you know, doing little things on your own, just putting the duct tape uh, on. Uh, that's legalism. Now, license is the other side of legalism. License is just ignoring the problem. I don't see a crack in the foundation. Uh, I didn't see it. Did you see it? I didn't see it. I don't see a crack. And just acting and living like... There's no crack in the existence. So both of these are not going to work, ultimately. But this is a way in which we uh, try to deal with the existential crisis that we often are confronted with. We minimize the problem. So first, we distract ourselves. Secondly, we minimize the problem. And then uh, thirdly, sometimes we just set our standard too low. Overall, we're like, ah, you know, buildings have cracks in them. Every building has a crack in it. Um, we, we root our hopes and dreams in things that are really far, far too low, that aren't existentially satisfying. Uh, if, I, if I just have this uh, relationship, then I'm going to be satisfied. If I just can get this job, then I'm going to be satisfied. If I just have a little bit more uh, money, 
then I'm going to be satisfied. But that's, that's setting the bar far, far too low. Regarding the, the money, there was this study that was done, and they asked people of various um, economic realities, like, what would it take for you to really, like, feel secure about yourself? And on average, everyone across the board said that about 12 to 15 percent more than what they currently have would make them feel good about themselves and feel secure. So you're a billionaire and you're like, you know, if I just had 12 to 15 percent more, I would, then, then I would feel great. Or you're making, you know, six bucks an hour and you're like, you know, if I just had 12 to 15 percent more, that would do it for me. Um, and so, again, the irony is that we're just fooling ourselves, and we're certainly setting the, the bar far too low when we're just like, well, I just need this little other thing, and then everything's going to be okay, and I'm going to feel good about myself, and I'm not going to be a ball of anxiety curled up in the corner somewhere. Um, but it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. A work setting our standards too low isn't 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 really going to help because at some point you're going to come to a place of crisis where you really have to address the crack in the wall to to address the reality of your broken relationship with maybe someone someone else in humanity or certainly your relationship your broken relationship with uh, God at some point you're going to be confronted with the reality of existence and your existence and distracting yourself or minimizing the problem or setting your standards too low isn't going to work. And so at this point, I went and I tried to find a, uh, a quote from my favorite atheist uh, at the time. And he was, he was a, prom a prominent atheist because he was very outspoken about it. And his name is Ted Turner. And uh, Ted, Turner, you know, Ted Turner is the sounder, founder of CNN. And in the 80s in particular, he I mean, he's always been known as the mouth from the south. That was, his, uh, that was his title, the mouth from the south. He's from Atlanta. And he was always saying provocative and, uh, and interesting and sometimes crazy things. But in particular, because he was atheist, he would say things that always got uh, religious people kind of hilariously uh, upset. And so <laughs> my favorite quote from him is this. This is a direct quote. Christianity is for losers. Christ shouldn't have bothered dying on the cross. That's a direct quote from Ted Turner. Christianity is a religion for losers. Christ shouldn't have bothered dying on the cross. Now, believe it or not, now that's pretty provocative. And um, so I, I went searching for this uh, quote, and I actually had a hard time finding it. Now, I remember when he said this, and I was like, wow, that you know, again, very provocative. And um, so I thought that this would, like, show up uh, you know, pretty high on the list when I Googled um, Christianity and Ted Turner. But do you know what? It wasn't high on the list because Ted Turner's given up on atheism. He's, he's found faith. Now, he's, now, I'm not going to tell you he's, you know, he's attending an Adventist church somewhere in Atlanta, but, but he's, he's, he's certainly a man of faith now, and he's, I don't know all the answers, and I don't think he's... Um, that he is a, a, a Christian per se, but he says he prays and that he is, is searching. And it's just back to this reality. I mean, when the rubber hits the road, at some point in your life, you are going to be confronted. You can get by for some time, maybe distracting yourself or 
uh, minimizing the problem or setting your standards too low, but at some point, at some point, you are going to be existentially challenged. And in that moment, you've got to get real. And apparently for uh, Ted Turner, this prominent atheist, that, that moment led him to faith of some, some sort. Um, with that said, I think that, that his assessment of Christianity, which he originally meant to be a negative, is dead on. I mean, if, if you're going to describe Christianity, you really uh, cannot do it better than the 1980s atheist version of Ted Turner. Christianity is a religion for losers because that is the message of the gospel. Christianity is a religion for the losers. You are a loser. <laughs> you are a loser. That is the whole premise of the Bible. That is what all those metaphors are about. You're a criminal. <laughs> you, 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 you are in debt. Uh, you are a prisoner being held against your will. You are lost. You are a loser. That is the gospel. You are a loser. Ted Turner had it right in epiphany. Christianity is for losers. Yes, Christianity is for losers. You are a loser. I am a loser. We're losers. Are you a loser? I'm a loser. We're losers. He had it dead on. Our text of emphasis today says... But God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. You are a loser. But thank God that he is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. This is the good news. This is the good news. God has done what you cannot do. He is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. The assertion is that God has been working all along. To heal this broken relationship. How exactly does he do this? Well, we said that um, the Bible was really clear when it's describing the human condition. Uh, we are prisoners. We are being held against our will. And then he uses the provocative term of slavery. We are, as humans, we are slaves. We don't get to do the things that we want to do because we are held in slavery. But John chapter 8, verse 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's, that's the language of, of slavery, but it's also the language of, of being released from slavery, being released from captivity. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the language of captivity. That Jesus was going to take our place as a captive so that we could experience the freedom that we can never, ever gain on our own because we are losers. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were ransomed. You weren't ransomed by God coming and, 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 and paying with silver and gold. You were, you were ransomed because of the empty tomb, First Peter. Because God did something through Jesus that allowed him 
to pay our ransom. Our ransom was paid by the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. We are prisoners held captive, but the good news is that God frees the slaves. We said that the Bible describes the human condition as being one of criminals, but 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is the language of criminality. But he took the place, he took the guilt, he took the punishment of the criminal so that we could be not, not face that charge against it. Us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, were made, were, were made criminals, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We said that the Bible describes the human condition as being one of being in great debt, that we are debtors, but Matthew chapter 18 and verse 27 says that the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. The debt was uh, canceled. So there was a great debt, but the debt was canceled, and this was done because God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves because we are losers, but God has won on our behalf. You didn't think you were going to come and talk about how loserous you were today, did you? Finally, the Bible says that we, the human condition, is as one who is lost. We know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus loves the lost. And it's God's work to find the lost and bring the lost back into the, into the pen. It's in Jesus' work on the cross that all of these things have been reconciled, that the relationship is healed. The Bible presents Jesus as the solution to every one of the metaphors of mess. Criminality, prisoner, debtor, lost, broken building that's unsafe with a giant uh, crack in it. Jesus is the solution to every metaphor of mess. So if you today are feeling like a captive, if you're feeling like there's areas of your life that you're just trapped in and you've tried and you cannot get it on your, out on your own and you feel like a, a loser, there's good news today. If you're feeling like a, a, a criminal, if you feel like you've done something uh, wrong and that you just can't get it uh, right, and that no matter what you do, you're never in the place that you, you want to be. And that, that, that this guilt is just hanging over your head. There's good news today. And that is that God has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. And God takes losers and he makes them winners. If you're feeling like you owe a great debt. If you're feeling the burden of a debt. And I mean, for those of you who have student loans, you know the burden of debt if you're feeling that burden, but, but not just the physical burden of getting a bill in the mail, but you're feeling like you are a, a, a debtor and you can't get out of this burden, there's good news today because God releases us from debt. 
or if you're feeling completely lost. Some of you here, I know you got up this morning and you feel lost and you came here and you hoped that by singing and sharing together in community that you would not feel lost. And listen, that's a good thing. We love coming and worshiping together and reading the Bible and praying, but it's only as we embrace God's work on our behalf. It's only as we recognize that God has done something for us in Jesus that we could not do for ourselves that we will really, really experience being found. In God's work through Jesus, we can be freed from captivity. Our, our charges against us can be uh, wiped away. Our, our debt can be forgiven. And we can be found gospel is designed to be good news for everyone. Thus the reason for so many metaphors. And there are many more. Some don't work for you, right? All right, slavery, slavery that, doesn't, that doesn't do it for you. Okay, well, what about debt? What about being lost? What about being a, a, a building that is a broken or living in a place in your place of security you, you found isn't secure and you're told you got to get, get out now? God is the answer to every one of the metaphors of mess. God, through his work in Jesus, gives us hope that the messiness and the brokenness of our existence can be healed because he does what we cannot. May we embrace God's work on our behalf today and live in faith in Jesus. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.